welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, we're on a roll with our review of our Yukon Gold Potato Cinnamon Rolls and our introduction of a green baked donut that uses everyone's favorite superfood and 2019 baking trend, spinach. Plus, Andrea will fill us in on how to host a cookbook swap if your New Year's resolutions included clearing clutter. And speaking of resolutions, Andrea and I will unveil our 19 for 19 thanks to some great listener suggestions. So put the kettle on and get ready for some sweet talk. Stefan, last week we talked about creating our 19 for 19 list. These are our New Year's resolutions related to baking, of course, and we ask our listeners for some suggestions. Wow, were you surprised? Oh, so exciting. Every new one that popped up, I'm scribbling it down. I'm having a little shout of glee. I knew that our listeners would come through, and man, didn't they ever. We are going to go ahead and list the resolutions that we've each decided on for ourselves and then the ones that we've picked from our listeners. I do want to add that this is still a little bit in draft stage. I know we might still get some more suggestions. Yeah. We'll go ahead and finalize them by the end of the month. But this is what we're thinking for right now for our 19 for 19. I will kick it off. One of my first resolutions, I would like to try and duplicate the chocolate hazelnut tort that comes from the Papa Hayden restaurant in Portland. Ooh. The reason I want to do this is my next door neighbor has long been the beneficiary and or, I don't know, guinea pig might be a better word for a lot of my preheated desserts. Okay. And they are moving at the end of the year. Oh, I did say to them at one point, hey, is there any dessert that you really love and you've never made or you've never been able to get again? Yeah. And my neighbor told me it was this chocolate hazelnut tort. And so I did um, start doing some searching for it. I'm not sure I've found the exact one yet. He told me from the perspective of being a person who ate it that it struck him as pretty complex with layers and a ganache and all sorts of things. So I'm pretty excited about that one, and I really do want to get it done before he moves, perhaps even as a, you know, goodbye and thanks for being a great neighbor. Oh, that sounds delicious. What a nice send-off, too. What a good neighbor you are. Well, let's see. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's That's true. Let's see when the resolution is checked off. Yep. How about you? What's your first one? Okay, so my number one is a tasty toponym, which we discussed a few episodes back. Yes. That is a treat that takes its name from its place of origin. Now, frankly, I am not sure that the baked Alaska was actually created in Alaska, but that's just one of the things I don't know about it. Yeah. So this dessert is layers of ice cream in a kind of a dome shape covered in meringue so you have the very cold ice cream but then you are of course sticking that meringue under maybe the broiler or with a blowtorch and crisping it up it sounds so dramatic and it sounds just so elegant it sounds kind of 1950s or 60s to me also I think there's maybe some heritage a good backstory so that is my number one looking forward to that anything with a blowtorch sounds good to me so indeed (laughs) I'm excited 
Okay, what's your number two? My number two is gingerbread. I have never made homemade gingerbread. And listener Heather posted a recipe from the Boston Globe. Yeah. And it had a lemon sauce that came with it. Yes. You can imagine how excited I was about that. I didn't get around to it this year, but I bookmarked that recipe and I am determined to get to it in 2019. Okay, so point of clarification on that one. You mean the gingerbread cake, not a gingerbread cookie? Oh, correct. Yes. Okay. Got it. That is my father-in-law's one of his very favorite desserts. So I also have a good recipe I could share if you need it. But I know that Boston Globe one is going to be delicious. Okay. Great. Okay. My number two is to make a homemade marshmallow. Oh. Love it. We were at a lights display over the holidays, and as you were walking around outside, it was very chilly, and they would have these little stands, and at one of the stands, you could buy gigantic blocks of homemade marshmallow, and then they had a little fire pit. You could roast it, and I know we've had this discussion on our Facebook page, and I've had it with other bakers in my life. I don't think they're that hard, and the payoff is supposed to be pretty good. Okay. I'm looking forward to marshmallows. Fun. That one sounds good. My number three is a Yule log or a bush de Noel. Yeah. My apologies, Stefan. You have done everything in your power to make this easy for me. <laughs> you gave me the option of doing a Yule stump yeah. instead of a Yule log. <laughs> and you also sent me a great recipe. I have saved it. It is another recipe that uses lemon. Oh, yeah. The lemon Yule log is now um, firmly bookmarked, and I am definitely going to do it in 2019. I'm super excited about it. Okay. This is the year of the log 2019. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. My number three is not to bake something, but to eat something. It is a Portuguese custard tart. Andrea, have you had one of these? Have you heard about these? I haven't had one of those, but I do believe listener Anne, who we interviewed back on episode 11, I have a memory of her going to Portugal and trying these and raving about them. Yeah, it's the national dessert of Portugal. So whether this means I go to Portugal to eat this dessert, that would be fine. Sure. Or if I find a place here in London that sells them. I just want to have one. I have heard people raving about them forever and really want to see what the fuss is about. Oh, I can't wait. Okay. My number four is to make a bread that I have to knead by hand for 10 minutes. And the reason this is a resolution for me is that I tend to always grab my KitchenAid or my food processor when that's an option. And we've talked about baking as more of a meditative practice, something to calm you down, slow you down. I really think I could use 10 minutes in the kitchen with my hands in a big batch of sticky dough Mm. and getting a good workout and forcing me to slow down and think about what I doing. So I'm looking forward to trying that. That sounds really nice. My number four is to make something with mastika, which is this Turkish flavoring. I may have mentioned this in the past. Turkish flavors are really hot this year. If you listen to last episode, episode uh, 106, we were talking about the food trends. And another Turkish trend that's really big is chewy Turkish ice cream. So Mm -hmm. never fear listeners. I've already gone out to my Turkish friend and She loves it, and she is looking for a place we can get it locally. She's not encountered it here in London. So I may have to go to Turkey. I may just have to make it. We'll find out. One way or another, I'm going to make something with those yummy Turkish flavors. Ooh, that sounds good. Okay, my number five is angel food cake. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Oh, yeah, I love that. I've never made that either. I've never made it. I do have the pan for it. 
I just always buy it in the grocery store. And then I complain because it's kind of spongy and maybe a little bit sticky and not as fresh as I would like it. Yep. I just need to stop complaining and make my own. So I'm planning on doing that this year. My number five is to host a dessert buffet. I think it would be really fun to have people over and have a variety of desserts. And I can just see that table in my mind's eye. You have some kind of different levels and different kinds of desserts, maybe some puddings, maybe some cakes, pies, just a whole smorgasbord. Maybe I should call it a dessert smorgasbord. (laughs) Oh, I like that. Mm. Yeah. Who wouldn't want to come to a dessert smorgasbord? Come on. I think that would have a high, high RSVP. Yeah. So that's, that's one for me. Number five. Oh, fun. Okay, my number six, I would like to make 10 new recipes from five new cookbooks. Yeah. And I got some inspiration from this from some of our Facebook people who are doing similar things to this, and that got me kind of excited thinking about it. And then, of course, my great pantry purge back in November of 2018, I really cleaned out my cookbooks, and we're going to talk some more about that today, in fact, about a cookbook swap. So I have some new cookbooks on hand, and I was thinking about, you know, how do I work my way through these? I've got the Reese Witherspoon cookbook that you gifted me for my birthday. That was the whiskey in a teacup. That's right. I've got Six Seasons, which is from a chef in Portland and a very vegetable-forward book. I've got Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, which is also a Netflix series. Mm. and Oh, it's so great. Yes. Oh, so great. I love that chef. She is wonderful. I've got Everyday Dory. Of course, I love Dory Greenspan. I worked my way through a lot of Dory's cookies, so I'm really excited about that book. And I'm open to one more new cookbook. So listeners, if you have any suggestions, I'll take one from you. And I plan to make at least two recipes from each of those five books, so 10 new recipes. I know I'll make a lot more, but that's a good way to force me to kind of work my way through things. I think it's a good way also with a new book to get a feel for if you like it and if you're interested in tackling more. So yeah, that's going to be a fun one with lots of variety there too. I think so. Okay, my number six is to make a bake-along together this year whenever, wherever we are able to be in the same room to bake at the same time. Okay. We did that last year when we were preparing for our Pies and Prosecco class last summer, and we had a really great time. I think it was the first time we'd actually been in the kitchen making stuff together. So I want to do that again. That's true. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. true. And we didn't kill each other. It's very exciting. (laughs) It was all very calm. All very calm. We have such different styles. It'll be really fun to bake together. I'm really, really excited about it. Okay, my number seven is crackers. Mm. This comes from another podcast that I listen to, TBTL. The host of that show is trying to make his own crackers. And I made the comment of, oh my gosh, you know, I've never even tried to make crackers. I'm, I find that very intimidating. And then I immediately thought to myself, well, good Lord, I have a baking podcast. What better place to try and make my own crackers? <laughs> so... <laughs> About 10, no gosh, oh my goodness, it might even be 15 years ago now. My next door neighbor when I lived in your neighborhood, Stefan, she and her husband used to make these rosemary salted crackers that were so wonderful, so thin, so delicate. And she is a very accomplished cook. Yes. And I remember her telling me, these are a lot of work, but they're worth it. I only got to taste them, so I would agree it was worth it. I never saw what she meant by a lot of work. So I'm going to find out. I love that. I really like to cherry pick from your list as well, but I got to I got to draw the line. So, okay. <laughs> my number 7 
and I kind of just alluded to it with my number six, I would love to host another preheated live event somewhere in the world. So we're going to work hard to make that happen and hopefully it will. So that's a resolution for number seven. Well, obviously I plan on being involved in that one for sure. That's right. I guess it's kind of your number eight then. That makes it your number eight, doesn't it? Yes. So then going on to some of our listeners' suggestions, here's the ones we're thinking about doing right now. Number one was from listener Lauren, and she suggested doing some random baking. You get a baking book, you turn to any page, and that's your recipe. I am so excited about this one. Yeah, the reason I love this so much is back when I used to travel a lot for work in my 20s, and this will tell you how long ago this was, there were phone books in every hotel room. (laughs) The way that I would pick a place to go to for dinner that night is I would open the phone book to the yellow pages to the restaurant section, and I would just grab my finger and point. And wherever I landed, that's where I would go to dinner. Wow. You know, this is pre-Yelp, (laughs) pre-TripAdvisor. Totally. Totally. I bet you have some good stories. I had some great stories. I had some great experiences. I had some horrible experiences. Of course. You know, no matter what, I have some memories. So I think that's going to be a super fun idea. I'm really excited about it. Okay, number two here from the listener suggestions, also going to be a blast. April Fool's Technical Reader Challenge. This is from Christine. And this is where the listener would send in a recipe. But like the Great British Bake Off or other baking challenges, would have a list of ingredients and then very, very simple or almost non-existent directions and Christine had the added challenge of perhaps recording some audio while we were doing that so that sounds like a big fun thing that would really push us out of our comfort zones and would also be a way to introduce some new audio into the show which we haven't really done before so I love that suggestion too. Yeah, this terrifies and excites me in equal measure. So I think there was another suggestion to do something that scares you. So I feel this might, um, you know, hit both of those resolutions. Mm -hmm. Okay, number three is the lovely challah bread. You've seen some listeners on our Facebook page are making a beautiful three strand. I have tried a four strand. And then, of course, listener Vicky just has to up the ante and tell us that she's making an eight strand challah bread. (laughs) I've never heard of this. I didn't even know it existed, and I love this idea. I have a challah bread recipe that I've been using that I really love. I also, last year in January of 2018, when I attended the Cascadia Grains Conference, I got a challah bread recipe using whole wheat flour, I believe, and I haven't gone back and used that one. Mm -hmm. So I have some options, and I'm really excited about this. It's going to be a technical challenge for me for sure. Yeah, I've never made challah one braid, eight braid, anywhere in between there. So really looking forward to this one. So send me that one that you love to use. I'll start with that recipe. Yeah, great, great, great. Okay, number four listener suggestion comes from Ruth down in Florida. And Ruth would like us to bake in season. So we are going to recommit ourselves to doing that in our third season in 2019. And I think, you know, Andrea, I think we're doing a pretty good job of that obviously helps both of us when we are looking at our months and, and shopping for our for our challenges. But there's, you know, always, always room for improvement. So going to keep that one top of mind going forward in 2019. Yes, we always try to do this. And we always feel horrible when it doesn't work out. And we're doing a bake along that contains ingredients that are difficult to get your hands on. So yeah, thank yeah. you, Ruth, for this suggestion. We definitely are going to recommit ourselves to this. All right, if you've been keeping up and doing some math, you've probably realized I've given seven resolutions. Stefan's given seven resolutions. We've listed four listener suggestions. That's 18. Number 19, guess what? 
we're going to keep it a surprise. Ooh. We're going to leave it open. <laughs> we're getting so many great listener suggestions that we hate to, you know, finalize our list. So number 19 for right now is still open. We're still taking input. And we hope to finalize our list by the end of January so we can get started on these things. That's right. And if you didn't hear your name called, but you had sent us in a suggestion, never fear because some of your suggestions, listeners, were so awesome that Andrea and I are contemplating turning them into entire themes for months and or there's one that could see us through an entire year. So hold on tight. We will be announcing that. And as we do throughout the year, we'll be sure to to give you some credit for, for helping us with that. But they were really exciting, really good. Thank you everyone for your awesome feedback. It was so fun to see. It really was. Thank you, everyone. We're having so much fun with this. Okay, on to this week's recipe review. That is the Yukon Gold Cinnamon Rolls. This came from the March 2009 Bon Appetit. The chef that contributed this recipe is Greg Atkinson. Stefan, were you aware that Greg Atkinson is a local Pacific Northwest chef? I sure was. He was the former head chef at Canlis and now has a restaurant out on uh, the peninsula, doesn't he? I think he does. And I knew you had picked this recipe. It wasn't until I actually printed it out and noticed his name that I thought, oh, that's a local chef. Maybe that's part of the reason why she picked this. Careful listener Bridget also very helpfully noted some of the comments in the recipe and said, ooh, this might be a little bit tricky. So thanks to Bridget for pointing that out. I think I'll let you go ahead and start and tell us what your experience was like with these Yukon Gold Cinnamon Rolls. You know, ultimately, this was a good cinnamon roll. I didn't think it was great. And it was a lot of extra work. So let me talk you through my process here. Okay. First of all, I have some metric conversions for folks who might need that consideration. Okay, great. I used Charlotte potatoes. If you can't get your hands on Yukon Golds, that's a nice waxy potato. Any waxy potato is going to work here as a substitute. A pound of those equals 453 grams. Half a cup of butter is 113 grams. A cup of plain flour is 137 grams. The light brown soft sugar is 254 grams, and the nine tablespoons of butter is 130 grams. Hope that helps. I know everyone's ingredients are a little different. That's what mine weighed in as. Now, Andrea, we had talked last episode when we introduced this that it would have been great had you been able to use some prepared mashed potatoes, but instead you are boiling the potatoes in a very specific fashion using an amount of water that is necessary to add some moisture back into the dough. I did that, had no problem. You then are kneading your potatoes into your yeast and flour. I kneaded it for about eight minutes, I think. Here's where Bridget's warning came in handy because she says the comments on this recipe state that it's very, very sticky, that there might be an issue with the ratio of water to dry. And I think I found that, Andrea. I ended up adding almost two cups of extra flour. Did you add any extra flour at this point? Not at all. Whoa, really? Yeah. Okay. But I had something else happen that might be the reason. Okay, okay. So we'll maybe circle back to that then. Right. Okay. (laughs) Let's just put a pin in that. (laughs) I did my rise to asks for, you know, till doubled in volume about an hour. Mine didn't ever get doubled. I didn't have a great rise here. So maybe there was just something else going on with either my potato or my yeast at that point. But then I had that very, very sticky dough still and really had to flour my board and my rolling pin. Here's where I also deviated. I'm, I'm, I'm just like on an Andrea Ballard roll here. Listen to me. I'm like, I didn't do that. What? I didn't do that. <laughs> 
and you had problems. What a shocker. <laughs> this recipe says it makes 12. These would be like the size of a baby's head. I don't know if whether it was just kind of the excess of the holidays or feeling that I needed to scale back, but I ended up making 20. And I thought they were still like a good cinnamon roll size. Yeah, I made 15 and they were huge. To me, they okay. were the size of like the Cinnabons in the airport. Yes, they were yes, very yes, large. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. At this point, Andrea, and I think we had talked about this last episode, I formed them into the cinnamon rolls. I really do like the filling here. I think that brown sugar Mm -hmm. is a little bit different with the cinnamon and some flour and then a lot more butter there. It's almost like a paste. Yes. As opposed to maybe like melting your butter and sprinkling on the cinnamon sugar. I did like that. I agree. Then at that point, I shaped them into the cinnamon rolls and I popped them in the freezer. I've never had an issue with taking rolls out of the freezer, bringing them back to room temp and letting them do the second rise. But these didn't want to rise for me the second time. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Yes, yes. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Either you had this experience or you didn't. I mean, all this said, then you bake them off. Lovely, lovely to look at. I thought the size was good. I liked the glaze, too. I would call that more of a frosting. It was very thick. It had the powdered sugar and the butter and the milk, vanilla extract, and a little bit of salt. It was really, really thick. I mean, no one was complaining. Don't get me wrong. These were a really nice festive breakfast. I'm just wondering if somewhere along the way something happened and I couldn't get it back on track. So let me know how it went for you, Andrea. Yeah, I had some really interesting things happen with this particular recipe. So even though you had warned us last week about when we're boiling the potatoes in the beginning that we needed to follow those instructions because we'd be using the water that the potatoes boiled in. Yeah. I completely forgot that. So I just chopped up my potatoes. I threw the potatoes and some salt in a saucepan. And then I did what I always do, which is just fill it up with water to cover. Yes. And I got about halfway through the boil and I, you know, was looking at the recipe and I thought, oh, oh no. Oh, no. I think I recovered from that okay. I sort of strained things out and made sure that I had only two cups of water. And then I continued on. But where I ran into a problem that I think might have affected my flour is when I started to mash the potatoes with the water in the pan. So you don't drain the water out. You just mash them right in the pan. Yeah. I was using one of those old-fashioned handheld potato mashers. Right. And I must have hit a piece of potato that wasn't cooked all the way through. And my hand slipped. I can't even describe what happened here. But basically, it's like my hand slipped. Mm Mm-hmm. It hit the potato on the side. Potatoes came flying out of the pan. I mean, I'm holding my printed recipe here, and it's covered in potato. (laughs) A bunch of potato landed on the floor. A bunch of the water slushed out. You know, a careful cook would have started over at this point, but (laughs) not me. Mm -mm. Nope. You're going to just rectify that situation. You can salvage that. And by rectify and salvage, I just soldiered on. I thought, well, there's going to be less potatoes in my... (laughs) Potato rolls. And you know what? It worked out fine. Yeah. You know, I did start reading those comments as Bridget had suggested, Mm -hmm. and they frightened me because they used words like hydration Mm -hmm. and ratios. and They were super technical. Yes. Yeah, the comments. Yeah, I'm not a technical bread person at all. So I just thought, I, I don't understand these comments. It seems like people had problems. I did not have problems. I went ahead and mixed everything together. The dough was not super sticky. 
I certainly did add more flour on my work surface. Yeah, sure, sure. I didn't add extra flour to the dough and it was just fine. But you know, that's because I had a lot less water and potato. How much less do you think? I don't know. I'd have to, you know, look at what I <laughs> scraped up. I mean, of course, the dog <laughs> immediately came. How much is on your recipe? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've got a good tablespoon on my recipe. <laughs> Without a doubt. Oh, okay. Probably at least, I don't know, half a cup to a cup landed on the floor. I don't know. I'd say that's probably about half. The other thing that I did wrong, and I even texted you about this, and I still did it wrong. This is so embarrassing. (laughs) I went ahead and I, you know, I made the rolls and I covered them. And you had told me to put them in the freezer and then do the second rise when you pull them out of the freezer. Mm -hmm. But I think I got distracted. So as they were covered, but before they went into the freezer, they went ahead and did their second rise because it only takes about 20 minutes. Oh, right. And these made so many rolls. I have a family of three, as you know. So I put them in five sort of mini disposable aluminum pans with three rolls per pan. Yeah. Yeah. And it was one of those things that I felt like I just turned around and those things were doubled. So I thought, okay, well, I'm freezing them after the second rise. But that worked out just fine. I pulled them out two or three days later. I think it wasn't the next morning. Wow. I didn't notice appreciable increase in the rise. They had already done the second rise. I cooked them. I did agree with you. I made a note on the glaze that it included butter. And I said, I don't remember making a glaze that includes butter. This reminds me more of frosting. So that's funny that we both came up with the same thing. Yeah. I think my overall review on this one was similar to yours. It was a lot of work. My husband didn't even try one. My daughter said they were fine. I think when it comes down to it, I don't love cinnamon rolls. So I don't even know if there was a super great recipe if I would have been jumping up and down. It's just not one of my favorite things. Yeah, and I didn't really taste the potato here. If, if that were a really obvious thing to me, then I would maybe be willing to put in the work for this. I think because I just have a go-to cinnamon roll that always works for me, I think that's what I'll be going forward with. Perhaps, though, I might mess around with that filling. I did really like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. That sounds like a good plan. I think I'll be skipping cinnamon rolls for the future. I might do a sticky pecan roll. I might do an orange roll. I might do a nut roll. But I just think for my own taste and my family's taste, we're just not cinnamon roll people. Let's move on to our next healthy vitamin and veggie infused bake. I am so excited. I don't even know how this is going to be. They are baked (laughs) lemon spinach donuts with a lemon glaze. They come to us from blogger Kate and her site is called Veggie Desserts. There's a couple reasons we chose this. First of all, Andrea, have you ever put spinach in a baked good? A sweet baked good. Right. That's the distinction. Definitely in savory baked goods, but never in a sweet baked good. Have not seen this either. The other reason I really like, have you noticed on her website in the recipe feature, you can toggle between the metric and the U.S. measurements for this recipe. Isn't that nice? So nice. I have become addicted to that on the King Arthur Flower website. And once you get used to it, it's like, oh, I wish I could do this with everything. So I love that feature. So nice. So wherever you are in the world, we hope that makes it very easy for you to follow along with. The recipe is fairly straightforward. You're going to make basically a spinach puree. Now, Andrea, two things I don't have. The first is a handheld stick blender, and I think someone on our Facebook page may have mentioned that as well. I'm going to use my food processor. Do you have a stick blender or what will you be using? I have a stick blender and I use it on the regular. I am shocked you don't have a stick blender. (laughs) 
do not. The one that I have is the Cuisinart version. It is a stick blender and a mini food processor as well. I use it so often. I make a lot of soups and I puree my soups in the pot with the stick blender. Okay. So that's my most common use of it. It's a great tool to have in the kitchen. I'll put it on my list. But I think your food processor will work fine. Or a knife will work, I think, right? Well, it does say puree, though. I think you're going to want almost like Mm. that baby food texture-ish. Okay. Okay, good point. What I might do if I do use my food processor is watch for the texture and maybe add a little water. Okay. Just because you don't want it stuck to the side. Yes. And I think that might be a problem. So might add a little water. That's a good point. Okay, so then you just have your lemon, and she very nicely says you're going to use that for both the donuts and the glaze. Thank you, Kate. We always love knowing where the ingredient is going. I really appreciate that. Yes, indeed. You've got some sugar, milk, butter, an egg, vanilla, plain flour, and baking powder. Now, Andrea, do take note. The baking powder is in the ingredient list, but she doesn't put it down in the direction. So I'm going to say you're adding that along with your flour. What do you think? Holy moly, yes. Good thing you told me that because you know (laughs) I never would have caught that. (laughs) I think with the dry ingredients. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I don't have is a large donut pan. Now, these are baked donuts, not fried. And so you've probably seen those. They kind of look like a muffin tin, but they are for donuts. Mine are minis. So I'm going mini on this. I am going mini as well. Oh, You might recall back in episode 47, we made the baked pumpkin donuts. Oh, yes. And that's when I got my mini donut pan. Quite honestly, I think I've only used it once or twice since then. So I'm super excited about pulling it out. Stefan, one thing I wanted to ask you about before we bake this is I was reviewing the recipe. Thank you very much. Pat myself on the back. (laughs) And I noticed there's no salt in the recipe. And so I went back and looked at episode 47 at our pumpkin donut recipe. That came from King Arthur Flour. And it is a similar recipe. And they use one and a half teaspoons of salt. I'm very suspicious of anything that's baked without salt. (laughs) I've not had good experiences. So I'm just going to warn you up front that I might be tossing a little bit of salt in this one. Maybe I won't. And then we can see how it compares. Okay. Okay. Awesome. So with those minis, then obviously you're going to back off on the bake time. For full size, she says 15. So I'll probably go 8 to 10. Mm -hmm. Then you are cooling them in the tray for a bit before you put on a yummy lemon glaze. I, I love spinach. I've never had it in something sweet. I love lemon. I love donuts. There's lots going on here. I'm really hopeful and looking forward to this one. I know. I am so excited about it. And you know how much I love lemon. I do want to add a little bit of a tangent here that I am trying to broaden my citrus baking outside of just <laughs> just lemon because I default <laughs> to that so often. I did make the grapefruit yogurt cake Ooh. from Smitten Kitchen, Deb Perlman. Oh, yeah. She's great. You know, I always have great success with her recipes. Yep. It was funny. You know how you purged your paper recipe binder and you found you had multiples of the same type of recipe or yes. sometimes even the same recipe? Yes. When her grapefruit yogurt cake came out, I went to add it into my recipe app. And right before I did that, I thought, you know, this is the kind of recipe that's definitely appealing to me. I should check and make sure I don't already have it. And sure enough, I already had it in there three times. Bingo. (laughs) 
three times. I'm glad you finally made it. So I finally um, got wise and I created a category in my recipe app called things to try. And so now when I add a new recipe, but I haven't yet made it, I'm going to put it in that category and I'm going to review that category at least mm-hmm. monthly to make sure that I'm actually using those things. Mm-hmm. And I did make it. It turned out wonderfully. I have often wondered why we don't do the drizzle cake over here in the U.S. like you do in the U.K. Yeah, so popular. Yeah, lo and behold, this is a drizzle cake. It's just not called a drizzle cake. But she does make a grapefruit syrup. She does not stab the cake with the skewers to make the holes. Must do that. Of course, I did that because stabbing is one of the best parts of a drizzle cake. Must. Yes, as far as I'm concerned. So I will post some pictures in our Facebook group of that particular recipe. And I'm sorry to kind of go off on that little tangent there, but I just did think it's not a veggie, but it is a fruit. So I felt like I wanted to throw that in for this month. Yeah, I think these donuts are going to be light and bright and citrusy. It's so perfect for this time of year. And I can't wait to see what a green donut's going to taste like. Yeah, and I'm thinking if they turn out well, you can make them again for St. Patrick's Day. You bet. Listeners, remember, we'll have a link to these recipes in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 107. It'll be on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as on our Facebook group. Andrea, like pretty much everyone else this time of year, I'm thinking about cleaning, organizing, and getting rid of things I don't need. You know one of my resolutions last year was to get my recipes in order. And you succeeded. I imagine your recipe binder now is a thing of great beauty. (laughs) It's looking pretty good, yeah. However, now my attention has turned to another area, my overflowing cookbook shelves. I am at max capacity for my available space, and something's got to give since I know there's bound to be some fun volumes I'll want to add in 2019. Oh, yes. If I recall correctly, you use bookshelves in your kitchen, right? So they're visible. You can see them. Yes, actually in both my London and Seattle kitchens, I have bookshelves and I love that. They're so handy for my cookbooks. Here in London, my kitchen is all white, so I organized the books by spine color to act like some rainbow wall art and it makes me so happy. I love that. Although I must say it does slow me down a bit when I'm looking for a volume whose color I can't remember. Yeah. (laughs) How about you, Andrea? Where are your cookbooks? I keep most of my cookbooks in my pantry on a shelf that's pretty much all dedicated to cookbooks. Okay. In fact, sometimes I forget about my cookbooks because I don't see them regularly. Yeah. Back in October, even before the great pantry purge, I knew (laughs) I had a problem because my books were falling off the shelf. I had double and triple stacked some of them, so I couldn't see most of them. Yeah. So one thing I was considering is transitioning to ebooks and keeping all of my cookbooks on my Kindle. Well, you know old-fashioned me could never do that. I am proudly paper book, and I love looking at my cookbooks and holding them and seeing the pictures. Yes, ultimately, I decided the same thing. I do love the convenience of having a mass of cookbooks on my Kindle, but I really miss flipping through them and especially seeing the pictures and having it right by my side as I'm baking. I know there are some electronic readers that display pictures really well, but the one I have is just a very text-friendly version, so it really wasn't working well for me. Mm -hmm. So I've continued to buy real-life cookbooks, and I've been gifted many as well, and I don't think I'm alone. Cookbook sales in 2017 were up 21%, according to one survey that I read. Wow. Remember way back in episode 74 when I told you that the British chef, Delia Smith, had said, the cookbook is dead, just get your recipes online. So apparently, she didn't get that memo. (laughs) No kidding. 
I also had a sentimental attachment to many of my older cookbooks. For example, my copy of How to Cook Everything. Yes. It was written by Mark Bittman. It was originally published back in 1998. I got that cookbook when I was 30 years old, and basically it was my Bible for at least 10 years. It really taught me how to cook. Yeah. I used it for everything. So it was in pretty bad shape. Many of the pages were stained and stuck together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, I don't know if you've, you know, know what that one looks like. Yes. It's huge. Right. Over 2,000 recipes, over 1,000 pages. It really took up some valuable real estate on my cookbook shelf. But I realized I hadn't really used it in the last 10 years or so, yeah. other than occasionally looking up a recipe that I'd already made a million times. Do you have any cookbooks like that in your collection? Oh, definitely. When I was first living on my own after college, I joined the uh, Cookbook of the Month Club. Remember those? (laughs) Oh, yes. Yes. You paid a penny and then you got six books and you had to (laughs) buy a few more over the next two years or something like that. I realize I'm really dating myself here. One of my favorites that I bought during that time is Sheila Lucan's USA Cookbook. And I've used it for so many different recipes over the years. My favorite cranberry relish, zucchini bread, lemonade, and collard greens all come from that one. It's my favorite kind of cookbook because she really dives into the history of ingredients or regional specialties. But Mm. like you, I have books I've outgrown, but I feel really guilty for getting rid of. Either they were a gift or they remind me of a special time in my life or they're more aspirational than useful or frankly, I'm just tired of them. Well, let me offer a possible solution. I am all ears. I learned about a cookbook swap on the Lazy Genius podcast. (laughs) She has a great tagline to describe her show. It's, be a genius about the things that matter and lazy about the things that don't. I found my 2019 mantra. (laughs) It was in episode 72 called How to Host a Book Swap that put this idea in my mind. Of course, she was talking about swapping all kinds of books, not just cookbooks. Okay. But many of the principles applied to cookbooks. In that particular episode, she also proposed a swap as a way to make a connection with people in your community, not just a way to move your books along and clean out your house, but also an easy way to provide a built-in conversation starter for a group of people, because book people love to talk books with other book people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Good point. And I have so many thoughts about my cookbooks. I can see how that would be a really great way to strike up a conversation with strangers or even people you were very well acquainted with. Mm -hmm. And a book club can be too high of a commitment for some people, but a book swap, it's just a one-time thing. Exactly. I decided to make my cookbook swap a fundraising event for my daughter's youth group, so we serve food alongside the swap. Ideally, I think it would be nice if people brought a recipe from one of the cookbooks that they were swapping. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that way people could taste an item from the cookbook, but time and other commitments made that impossible. Yeah, that would be really cool, but I see your point. So how many people came? The podcast suggested at least 10 people, but no more than 30. I decided to publish the event to a large group and ask for the book donations ahead of time so we could start to see how many books we might have and start to get things organized. I figured the more books, the better. Of course, you don't have to ask for the books ahead of time. People can just show up with their books, and that's okay, too. I think the most important thing is that you need enough books. If you only invite five people and they each bring two books, that's not really much of a swap. Yeah, you got to get some critical mass there. Yeah. Any other logistics? I do think it's helpful to organize the books by genre. So, for example, we put all of the crockpot books together and the vegetarian books and the holiday books. If you have space, you can lay things out on different tables. If not, you can just put them in sections together. 
Speaking of crockpots, did you notice any cookbook genres that were particularly popular? (laughs) Yes, I did. The appliance-related cookbooks, everything from old-school Dutch ovens to crockpots, even modern-day sous vide books. I think appliance cookbooks are nice when you're learning an appliance, but it's not necessarily something you hold on to once you've mastered it. Or given up on it. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see how many Instant Pot and Air Fryer cookbooks show up on used bookstore shelves and cookbook swaps in the future, since they were the best-selling category of cookbook in 2018. I know. Another big category we saw was travel cookbooks. Food from Spain, food from Paris. Stefan, you travel a lot and you love to cook. What are your thoughts on cookbooks that are specific to a regional cuisine? (sighs) I want to be more positive about this. Yeah. But honestly, while I think they can be a nice souvenir, no matter how delicious the cuisine I've eaten on holiday has been, I've never been able to capture that magic once I'm back home. I know what you mean. No matter how excited I am about a particular food I taste or something that I cooked when I traveled, I don't tend to recreate it regularly once I get home. Yeah. Sometimes it's because the ingredients are hard to find, but often it's that sense of place that's missing. Mm -hmm. You might recall that pear almond tart I made in Paris. It was so good precisely because I made it in Paris. Yeah. I walked through the street markets. I picked a perfect in-season fruit from this wonderful cellar. I enjoyed it over a leisurely three-hour lunch with a crisp white burgundy wine alongside... I just can't recreate that in Olympia, even with the exact recipe. Yeah, those leisurely three-hour lunches are a bit harder to come by when you're in regular life. Though I will say, loyal listeners Lydia and Mary are working their way through a cookbook of Spanish food this year, and they're having a blast. Maybe you just have to be in a particular mindset. It is a nice way to travel without leaving your postcode. Okay, so back to the book swap. After I've invited people and organized the books by genre, what's next? So your next thing is to think about the timing of the event. To keep things fair, you want people to be able to browse for a certain amount of time and then claim the books that they want. So we created a 30-minute window of browsing before the actual time came where you could claim and grab the book that you wanted. And how did people claim the books they wanted? Arm wrestling? Grab it and run? (laughs) That would have added some fun to the event. But no, we just put an index card in each book and you wrote your name on it. Okay. So if your name was first in the number one position, then you got the book. It was pretty easy. Okay. If you came across a book that already had someone's name in the first place position, you could add your name and phone number in the second place position, which indicated you'd love to have the book after the first place person was finished with it. But we left it up to the first place person to follow up on that or not. Yeah. Yeah. We made it completely optional, so there was no pressure. Did you get any great cookbooks to share with us? I was a bit at cross purposes. On the one hand, I was seeing all of these cookbooks and so many interesting recipes to try. On the other hand, I was trying to purge and clear my shelves. So I only grabbed one, and that is a cookbook of dog treats. Aw, so (laughs) Filson benefits the most. Yes. Did you have any leftover books at the end of your event? We did, and this was slightly unexpected. Okay. Yeah, I knew we would have leftover books. Obviously, you know, it wasn't going to be a one-for-one. Not everyone would leave with the exact same number of books that they arrived with. Mm. But I hadn't realized how many leftover books we would have. So I took literally hundreds of books to Goodwill at the end of the day. Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm sure they will soon find a new good home. I do think cookbooks are a little different than regular books. People might hang on to them, the ones that they really love, and tend to get rid of ones that aren't like five-star contenders Mm -hmm. in their kitchen, whereas 
maybe, you know, if you've got a book you enjoy, you'll read it a few times and then be willing to give it away. I think you're so right. Ultimately, this ended up being a bit more of a cookbook purge than a cookbook swap, but that's okay. I now have the cookbooks I really use lined up neatly in my pantry, and then taking a tip from you and keeping things visible, I have my three most current cookbooks I'm wanting to use on my counter in my kitchen, since out of sight, out of mind is the reality when it comes to me and my cookbooks. Yeah, good point. And one quick idea if you can't do a large swap, Little free libraries, they are that international phenomenon of take one and leave one, and they are a great place to recycle books of all kinds. I've gotten Rose Levy Berenbaum's Christmas Cookies books, and I picked up a Southern Living Cookbook this past summer when I was home. And I recently, so excited, found a little free library in my neighborhood here in London so I can make some contributions of my own this year. Yay! I didn't realize it was international. That's so fun! Oh, yeah. But Andrea, I look forward to the day we can host a preheated cookbook swap. And I know, thanks to your tips, our listeners can organize their own this year, too. So listeners, if you host a cookbook swap or a similar event, please let us know how it goes. We'd love to hear from you. You can send us an email at hosts at preheatedpodcast.com or post to our Facebook community. Well, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get the icing onto this episode. Next week, we'll see if Popeye would approve of our lemon spinach baked donuts, and we'll introduce a vegan, gluten-free, deep-dish cookie pie that uses a healthy ingredient your guests might not see coming. And Olay, Stefan's got the sweet scoop from Spain during our popular globetrotting gourmet segment. We want to say a huge thank you and shout out to our listeners who have posted some new reviews for us on Apple Podcasts. Karen, Joe, and Captain Who weighed in to say that they have discovered preheated, they're binge listening, and they've even made a few recipes with great success, including the peanut butter pie from episode 60, the gingerbread bars from episode 57, and all the way back to episode 2 with the pumpkin buttermilk spice cake. Yay! Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at preheatedpod. We'd love more reviews from you, so thank you to those of you who have done it. And if you haven't, please consider reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. Until next time, I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.